faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so strong. Our faith in Ahlul Bayt is so strong that we don't have this kind of concept of distortion. Our faith is weakening in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in Ahlul Bayt. Yes, I mentioned there is a systematic, systematic approach to distort Islam and the image of Islam. That is there with the whole concept of Orientalism. And here there is also something that people ask. They say, why are Muslim countries such a mess? Look at it. You guys claim to be Muslims. You have the best of religion. Why is your country such a mess? Here there is no simple answer. But if we were to use a simple answer, the answer would be colonialism. There is a professor at Columbia University by the name of Mahmoud Mamdani. He wrote a book. Mahmoud Mamdani says in that book, and this is quoted by Joseph Masad or Mas'ad in Islam and Liberalism, where he says, Mamdani concludes, the most, listen to this, the most important legacy of colonial rule may lie in the inherited impediments to democratization. The most important legacy of colonial rule may lie in the inherited impediments to democratization. Impediments to democratization. That's the most inherited legacy of colonial rule. They put impediments to democracy. So this was planned. In 1916, in 1916, many people don't know this. Two diplomats, one was British and one was French. The British was Marc Sykes. The French was Francois Georges Picou. It's known as the Sykes-Picou Agreement. Look it up. In 1916, a French and a British. This was at the time when now the Ottoman Empire is on the collapse. It's about collapsing. They met, they sat down on a table and they took a map of the Middle East. They said, let's divide now. How are we going to divide the Middle East? Well, this is Iraq. This is Egypt. This is Syria. This is etc. etc. What would you like? This is what I like. Oh, okay. I'll take this part. I'll, exa that's exactly what happened. Two diplomats and the Middle East was divided. Enough? No. Then agents were sent. You guys have heard the famous Lawrence of Arabia. That's a famous name. But there was another agent sent to Iraq specifically. Only Iraq. A British agent by the name of Gertrude Bell. She was an agent came under the idea of an archaeologist, that I am an archaeologist. She came as an archaeologist. Yet her plan was to basically put Iraq together. How are you going to put Iraq? And she helped develop the constitution of Iraq under the monarchy. So the whole process was carved out, was made. I have a friend of mine who did his... Uh, 
specialization in African studies. So one day I asked him, I said to him, you know the pictures we get about Africa, they're always in poverty, for example, and difficulties. Is this always been the case? Has Africa always been in poverty? He said, of course not. I told him, then what happened? He said, I'll tell you one example. I'll tell I'll give you one example, Rwanda. I'll give you that one example, Rwanda. He says, in Rwanda, you have tribes, different tribes. He said they came to those people in Africa. They told them, and instead of you being, you know, farmers of vegetables, for example, crops, all that, and instead start farming coffee and tea, and we'll pay you better money than potatoes, for example, carrots, etc., etc. Don't stop farming that stuff. It's useless. Farm coffee and tea, and we'll buy it from you. So they started then farming coffee and tea, and they started paying them good top dollar for it. This lasted for generations. After generations of farming coffee and tea, then they came back to them and they said, well, if we used to pay you, let's say, for example, a dollar per kilogram, for example, now we're going to pay you five cents per kilogram. So imagine, poof, immediately the whole economy collapsed and people started living in poverty, people started living in difficulties. And that's because of generations now. It's difficult to go back to farming what they used to farm before. This is generations. So there was a systematic plan. In addition, they came to tribes, tribe, and they divided the tribe in the middle. This is Rwanda, for example. This is another country now. If you want to go from here to there, you're not allowed. You have to have a passport. What's passport? This is my cousin living over there. My brother's lives on. Khalas, now there are borders. So borders were established. Then they took the weaker tribe, they gave it power and arms and made it on top of the majority, the Hutu and the Tutsis, those two tribes. They gave, they armed the smaller tribe and they made it on top of the bigger tribe. So then problems started to happen which resulted in the genocide in the 90s that we saw in Rwanda. See that? This did not happen overnight. Systematic. Subhanallah, brothers and sisters. I tell some mu'mineen, when you took, take a look sometimes at an ant, take a look at an ant, for example, you feel, you know, sometimes guilty to step on the ant. You know, say astaghfirullah. If you accident, you say astaghfirullah. Millions of lives are being wasted, wal'iyadu billah, and people don't even blink an eye. Why? Because of greed and power and authority. The love of power is the most destructive power. Love, kind of love. What established civilizations? The love of power. What destroys civilizations? The love of power. So we always have to be careful. Now, this also begs another question. Some people say, okay. So when some people ask you, brothers and sisters, say, listen, our countries, yes. Some Muslim countries, they are unfortunately living a very messed up life. Some. But that is because of a systematic rule. In addition, there were people who are hypocrites who coll collaborated. Yes, indeed. There are these who collaborated and they worked. So we're not putting all the blame. Yes, there are some traitors. Just like you had traitors at the time of Rasulullah and Imam Ali and Imam Al-Hasan. The same kind of people exist today. What made Imam al-Hasan 
give up the Khilafah to Muawiyah, be forced to give it up, to have that peace treaty with it. The same kinds of people. Same kinds of people. This is still in existence. Nothing has changed. There is a system here against Islam and a system against Shi'ism now. There is a system against Shi'ism, brothers and sisters. I'll tell you a couple of examples. One very old, one is recent. One old is in the 1890s, 1890s. The British signed an agreement called the Tobacco Agreement with Iran. The idea was that they would drain all the resources of Iran, the country at the time. One of the Maraja'u Taqlid at the time, Ayatollah Shirazi at the time, he issued a fatwa where he says, anyone who deals with tobacco, farming it, selling it, smoking it, is in direct combat with the Imam Al-Mahdi Al-Muntadhar Ajjalallahu Ta'ala Farajahu Sharif. The Shia immediately listened to that alim, to that marja'. They stopped farming, they stopped it, getting the crops, smoking, even in the house of the king of, the, of Persia or Iran at the time, the house of the king himself, the palace. He came home, he said, bring me the shisha, what we call the shisha. They told him, well, there is no more shisha in the house. And he, what? What happened? He said, your wife, she ordered us to break down all those pipes. He calls the wife, says, how dare you say so? She says, didn't you hear the alim, the marja? He said, it's haram, khalas, it's haram. I'm your husband. You listen to him, you should listen to me. He is the one who made me halal to you. I became your wife because of his, because of him. I will also listen to him. He says, it's haram, it's haram even in your house. So the king lost control even in his palace. That agreement, which was billions of dollars worth, collapsed because of a fatwa of a man living in a house. No arms, no guards, no machine guns, no tanks. That made them go, my Lord, this is quite powerful. This fatwa is very powerful. And those Shia and their relationship with their marja'ut taqlid is very scary. Recently, brothers and sisters, in 2014, what happened in Iraq? The country was supposed to be swept away. Khalas. Correct? Those of you who are old enough, you'll remember. This is not long history. This is five years ago. And may Allah bless our ulama. In that case, Ayatollah Sistani, hafizahullah wa issued a fatwa of jihad that you have to defend the country, defend the people, whether they are Christians, whether they are Shia, whether they are Sunni, whether they are Yazidis. You need to protect the country, the people, defend them. Three million people then jumped and started defending and fighting. And Alhamdulillah, people were saved, lives were protected, and the maraqid of Ahlul Bayt were saved with a fatwa. So those people who wasted billions of dollars, all of the sudden now that investment that they made is gone because of one word, a statement. Well, that's quite dangerous, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Let me ask you a question. You invest 
billions of dollars in an investment. Someone comes and ruins it for you. How would you feel towards them? You want to destroy it. So now it's coming. Why do you listen to these maraj'ut taqlid? Why do you listen to people living in Najaf and Qom? They tell you you're what your life. You guys are intellectuals. You're smart enough. Do you need someone to dictate to you? Well, I am smart. I have PhDs, alhamdulillah. But when I get sick, I have to refer to an expert, a physician. I am smart. I'm not stupid. When I need help with law, I refer to a lawyer. When I need help with building and design, I refer to an architect or an engineer. And when I need help with fiqh and jurisprudence, I refer to a faqih. Why when it comes to fiqh and fuqaha, all of a sudden, no, you're smart. You can do it on your own. And then, why do you attend al -Imam, al Imam al Hussein, brothers and sisters? One of the reasons the religion of Islam has been saved is through Imam al Hussein, salamullahi alayhi. Why do, what do we read in his ziyara? Ashhadu annaka qad aqamta salat wa ataita zakat wa amarta bil ma'ruf wa nahayta an al munkar wa ata'ta Allah wa rasulahu hatta ataka al yaqeen. The religion is saved. That's why one of the ulama, before he started his salah, before he starts his salah, before he says, Allahu Akbar, takbiratul ihram, he would say, Assalamu alayka ya Aba Abdullah al Hussein. And he says, Allahu Akbar. They asked him one day, why do you do that? He said, because if it weren't for the martyrdom of Imam al Hussein, I wouldn't be standing to pray today. I would have lost my salat. Imam al Hussein saved the salat. He saved the religion of his grandfather, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa with his sacrifice. So if Hussein is so dangerous, well then we need to keep people away from Hussein. Don't attend majalis. Don't listen to what those people tell you from these members, from these pulpits. So my brothers and sisters, with you attending the majalis, with you choosing to change yourselves to become the true Shia of Hussein, you are resisting that movement and you're resisting these forces. For that, we always would always raise our voice and say, Labbaika ya Hussein!